<laughs> well, we'll get away. Um, Jim and Phyllis, we had a lot of new people today, so if you can unmute yourself and just introduce yourself and say who you are and where you live, that we're going around doing introductions. Yeah, I'm Phyllis Howard, and um, we live in Corona Del Mar. I'm Jim. <laughs> Howard. <laughs> Howard. <laughs> <laughs> and they become Samantha Wild, so doing online. Elizabeth, uh, tell us where you are. And hello, I'm Elizabeth. I'm uh, up in the provinces, up in Brea, North County. <laughs> <laughs> you find Elizabeth doing a lot of her hospitality stuff on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. great job for us. Um, I see Rochelle has joined us. Uh, Rochelle, who is uh, 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 say hi and tell us something, uh, Rochelle. Hi, um, I'm usually in Indiana, but I'm in Wrightwood today. So, um, because the time zone works, I thought I'd plug in and see all your faces, learn Great. with you. Michelle's here for a number of years, their family, children, and they just moved to Indiana last year. Sad for us, but happens here. And Nancy, do you, are you able to unmute and say hi? Hi. I live in Costa Mesa. <laughs> so welcome online and then here in person, let's start, let's kind of go around like this. Um, give your name, where you live, you know, maybe some fun fact you don't know. Oh, fun fact. Uh, my name's Joshua. I live in Mojave. And um, gosh, I don't know about fun fact. I'm on the spot. So <laughs> I like to play Musical instruments. Nice. So, I'm not very good, but it's relaxing. <laughs> I'm Carol Wilson, and this is my husband, Dave Wilson, and we live about a nine iron up the hill. <laughs> so it's easy to fall down. But you don't walk. No, so. <laughs> we don't walk. We drive. <laughs> Two cars, actually. <laughs> And I'm, I'm J.K. Leeson. I, uh, I live in Newport Beach as well. Um, and it's uh, decided I need to get more involved with some of the opportunities that are offered to learn more about uh, our, our rich tradition. And uh, so I'm here. I'm, I'm almost retired. I keep trying, but it doesn't quite work out all that well. And, uh, but I'm, I, I thought if I force myself onto this, that'll help with retirement. Uh -huh. So that's, nice. that's, that's what's going on. All right. I'm Cheryl. I, I kind of just pretend like I'm retired, so I just keep coming to everything that church has. I feel like it's gold. I'm like, what if I wouldn't have gone to that? Every time, I'm just like, that was... So worth it. So, um, and I live in Aliso Viejo. Uh, so, sort of, when I go to the top of the hill by my house, I can see Laguna Beach. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Elena Perry, and um, I live in Laguna Niguel. Careful, I've got to some time. Um, Tom is my husband. He's not here. And you like birds? <laughs> birds, oh yes. And reading. I like that too. But yeah. Hmm. And I'm Diane uh, Thomas, and I live about a mile from the church uh, down San Miguel and have been here about 13 years. My husband Eric and I have been here about 13 years. Happy to be here. Yeah. 
the model. You said nine iron? You must be the heck out of nine iron. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's a... <laughs> okay, a driver in the okay. house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's push on some steamy there. I, um, I do this on the iPad so I can see people here, but I have no idea how to control blue jeans in the iPad like you do on my PC, so it's just like, okay, I look for ways to... Anyway, there's that. So we're, we're, we began last week a study in the Psalms, and so um, I'm just, I'm doing, though we always pray, we have a perfect Psalter, and there are, I'm just, we're gonna, I'm reading in my New King James Bible, the Psalms through like that, we're talking through them, which you can have whichever translation you have, and we can talk through it. You know, any different translations sometimes can bring out um, different um, points of emphasis. So, um we talked a little about last week, just give a little bit of review, and then we're going to talk today about Psalm 2. We talked about what, what the Psalms are, and um, they are uh, largely prayers, although not exclusively prayers. For example, Psalm 1 was not a prayer. It was a pronouncement of blessedness uh, on, the, on the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. It's more like a wisdom proclamation. But it prayers and and um, writings and there are different speakers in the Psalms. There's you know the, the psalmist, sometimes God speaks in the Psalms, sometimes it's the voice of the people. But in, in general, the Psalms um, cover the range of the experience of God's people. From the triumphs of God to um, times of trial in which the psalmist and God's people hang on to God, waiting for God to come and, and act. Um, and one of the things we, we, we pointed out yesterday following uh, uh, one commentary is that one way to look at the first three psalms is that the first psalm talk, talk, begins with, blessed is the man. And when we think about the man, uh, we we think biblically back to Adam, uh, the man God made, and then we, we think forward to Christ, who is the new man. And so one of the thing, one of the um, ways we understand and pray the Psalms is that the Psalms are often assumed to be the voice of David, but ultimately the voice of the Messiah. And what is uttered in the Psalms about the Messiah, therefore becomes also our voice because we are baptized into Christ and we are triumph and struggle now um, are brought into this experience of, of God's people. And that's how we share in the prayers of the Psalms. We, we, we are now corporately God's people, and each one of us um, works through the events of life in the language of the Psalms with some of the same experiences. And the Psalms are one way that, that the um, sort of individual trials of my life 
are joined into the narrative of God's people with this reliance on God and with the deliverance that God God provides for us. But we'll we'll do best to understand the Psalms as as Christ-centered. And Psalm 1, blessed is the man, Christ is the blessed man, and we are blessed in him. So he is the one who quintessentially does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners, and who receives the, the blessing promised by the wisdom literature. And as much as we, living in him, guided by the Spirit, also follow in that path, that blessedness that comes to Christ, comes to, this, that this upon Christ comes to us. And the Psalm 1 then um, contrasted the the rooted, planted nature of the blessed man who whose whose life is watered by the by the springs, hearkens to the river that flew out of Eden, hearkens to the Holy Spirit in our lives, and therefore he it, it, it experiences patient growth that bears fruit, versus the ungodly, unrooted like the chaff. They just blow wherever they you know, they blow away here and there. Uh, so today we're going to look at Psalm 2, and what, what I'm going to say is that Psalm 1 is, is the man. Psalm 2 really focuses on the Messiah. We're going to get the king. Uh, the king, um, God sent his king upon his holy hill. Uh, and we'll talk about how um, this psalm is particularly um, associated in Christian tradition with Christmas. Um, uh, where, where, where it's, a, it's, I believe it's, it's the refrain, one of the introits for the Christmas services. And then we get to Psalm 3, um, we're going to get to, to the, to more a focus on the suffering servant. Lord, how they are increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Um, and so, um, we begin the Psalms with this, you know, the blessed man, the new Adam, the king on the holy hill, the Messiah, and the suffering servant. And the suffering uh, servant theme, though it, it's epitome, it, it's, it prevails throughout the Psalms, that they're regularly God's people are, are, are praying in a posture of affliction, holding on to the hope that God has given them, and, and already rejoicing in the, in the assurance that God will provide that deliverance. Right. So let, let's look now at um, at Psalm two and start reading through that. And it probably is best to um, read a few verses and then reflect on them. Uh, so I'll read verses one through three. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So, um, one of the things we should note about this psalm in particular is that it's one of the earliest psalms quoted in the New Testament. Um, if we turn to chapter 4 of Acts, when um, P. 
Peter and John are being arrested. Um, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 4. And the setting is that Peter and John were arrested for the healing they performed. Um, And then uh, after preaching, they they, they let them go, warning them not to preach anymore about Jesus. And verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So, he goes on to pray, Grant to to your servants who love boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, so what's happened with the setting here is that, you know, Jesus is ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit has come, the church has begun to, to exercise its ministry, and there, and what's, what's happening functionally in Acts is that the church as the body of Christ, now filled with the Spirit, to do all the same things Jesus did. And, the, and, and gaining a following in Jerusalem, so that the rulers who thought they had stamped out this sect by killing the leader, now in fact, because of Pentecost, has actually been, the, the, has been multiplied. And um, so when Peter and John perform a miracle and get a lot of attention in Jerusalem, the leaders arrest them to try to now, and don't preach about this, don't do this. And so Peter and John don't follow that advice. They actually pray for boldness to keep on doing the very thing that they were told not to do. So that the idea that in the face of the opposition, even though everyone's gathering against the Lord, against his anointed, and note here how this actually highlights the um, the, the kind of transferred experience of the Psalms. So they're saying in, in um, in Acts that, the kings gathered against Jesus, against the Lord, against his anointed. But now, because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to the church, the church is now anointed also. It's now the body of Christ. And now the rulers are gathering against it. In share, and so the shared experience, the church will share in the same experience that Christ went through in, in, in opposition. And so what they want to do is continue on. Jesus, in the face of opposition, continued to be faithful until death, and that was the gateway to resurrection. So the apostles pray that they'll have the same resoluteness in the face of that, to be faithful and not to um, yield to the opposition, but to continue to be faithful and and carry out the ministry they're called to carry out. Mm -hmm. 
any thoughts about that or questions or comments about that? I just think it's ironic that you would arrest somebody for doing good things. Healing. I mean, I get why they did it, but... And they did it to Jesus. Yeah, yeah I know. Well, so, so yeah, I mean, this is, this is an important thing. Um, but, it, of course, it's not just a good thing that they're getting arrested for. Mm-hmm. It's that this healing happened, and then they said... Now, this is the proof that Jesus is the Messiah, and you all need to repent and believe in him. And and by the way, you killed him, Mm -hmm. but now you can repent. And this is always the offense of the gospel. It's not that, it's it's not offensive when you do generically good things, which we should all do. It's, It's offensive when the generically good things we do are witnesses that Jesus is the Messiah and has a claim on everyone's life. No, 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 no. And that, and th- this gets some at something here. You know, why do the nations rage and people plot a vain thing? Um, there's this idea sometimes that that you know there's Jesus and then there's you know um, there's this religious thing called following Jesus. And there's life in the world that's separate from Him. But the, um, the Bible doesn't portray the only life that's separate from life in God is life in the world in rebellion against God. Mm. There's not a neutral, there's not like hard, hardcore sin, oh, and I'm just kind of hanging out in, this, in, in, in neutral, and then you're, you believe. There's, there is life as God ordered it, and then there's rebellion against that life. So... Maybe a way to further this conversation is to ask, where did that um, gathering against the Lord begin? Let's talk about that. So, so, and this will get a little bit of the whole idea of the battle here. So what, what happened? Let's just unpack what happened in the garden. We have, you know, paradise, Adam and Eve, garden, it's all good. Yeah. And then, but, with God. but so, so some voice comes in, uh, and 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 um, the voice um, is it's here not a community gathering; it's a singular voice, but it's against the Lord and against His anointed, because because Adam and Eve are the Lord's children, and they have the Lord's spirit, so so there's a gathering against it. And and what what is the message um, that the serpent gives to to Adam and Eve? They can become godlike by God's, do, by, God's by holding something from them. Okay, so that God has um, to, I'm shamelessly coming into the word of the song. God has shackled you in some sense. Mm-hmm. You He doesn't want you to. The, this this idea that you can't do something is is holding you back from really being like God, and and so we can hear the echo. Let us break the, their bonds in pieces. Oh, God is restraining. We're going to break free from what God God's restrictions and live on our own apart from that. Right. But that is the world. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not just when we flagrantly sin, it's when anything we do, we do 
as though it were mine to do and not in relationship to God. We talked a little bit about this um, on, uh, I talked a little bit about the sermon on Sunday about, you know, the returning to give thanks, that that is, that is what um, the Eucharistic life was, the, is the human vocation where they're to take the creation God has given them and offer it back to God in thanksgiving. And then that which is offered in thanksgiving is received as a gift, and now we are free to enjoy. But the problem with the tree was it wasn't a gift, and they could not give thanks for it. Therefore, to partake of it was outside of God and his kingdom. And anytime we take a part of life, and this is, this is I think, a, a rubric by which we can assess um, the character of an action, is this something I can give thanks to God for? And maybe more particularly, is, something, is this something I do give thanks to God for? The constant reference of each aspect of life to God. You know, the, in the Jewish language, it would be, blessed art thou, O Lord God, who gives food to eat. We're blessing, I thank God for the food. Blessed art thou who gives, you know, chance to gather for Bible study. Plus, you know, every little thing we realize this is a gift that God allows us to participate in. But when we cease to give thanks, then this is mine. And, oh, well, God said that, well, no, he, you know, I, I don't really mean that way. I mean, it, it, you know, we, we started the, the, the parsing of the commandment where we can justify why we're doing it our way rather than mm-hmm. God's way. And that goes back to that voice of the serpent that then becomes the voice of of the world. That's the beginning of the world right there, is the action of eating that is not Eucharistic, but is done by humans for their for their own sake apart from God. Against what he said. Against what he said. So in the spirit of the serpent that comes and questions in their minds, then we, just by merely questioning why did God set it up that way in the first place, since we don't have the mind of God to know why he did that, is that a valid thing to question? And, and it, it's, it's always okay to, to ask questions. Um, and, and part of the, of course, part of the, I think, the um, framework of, of the creation of, of man in the garden related to blessed is the man, is, is that the first humans are created in a spiritual infancy. And the reason they're, they're not uh, to, to be given the knowledge, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is not because they never will have it. It's because children aren't ready to know everything. Like if you have a child you're raising, there's some things I'll talk. I'll have that talk with you, fifteen or twenty. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to have it now. Now, just no. And 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 so. You give them the keys to the Ferrari. What's that? You don't give a three year old keys to the Ferrari. <laughs> and and you to be a child to be childlike in faith, you have to um, ask. But trust 
and, and practice obedience and faithfulness as God reveals to you why. And, and believe that, you know, when, when it's made it clear, you'll say, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's not bad to ask questions. It's, it's doubt when it comes to, I won't do this unless I, or I'm going to do this unless you tell me why I can't. Yeah. And, and, and we told you, know, what God's so unfair, yeah. That one, you didn't do that to your children. You know, like, no, you know, I, I expect you to do what I say. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to explain, I'm not going to get, we're not going to again do a, a whole dialogue about this right now. <laughs> um, and so, so I think that's, that. so, so, so the, the idea is that um, human growth and progress, and this is, this is, I think, living that life of prayer, living life of relationship with God, growing and knowing God growing in one's own sense of what it means to be a human relationship with God, one that grows in knowledge. Oh, I see. I get that. But it's a gradual process. Like, for us to know God in in the life of prayer, we will know God more and more as we walk with him. And we know more, you know, five years into knowing him than we did at the beginning. And then we know more and more, and it becomes clearer. We see, we get wisdom about things. So you bring up an interesting point that I hadn't thought of before. Is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, was there not just that you grow into, but some people would take it that this was God putting this there just to test Adam and Eve from the get-go. And that's its its sole purpose, but you added a much greater dimension to that. Mm Mm-hmm. It, and it clearly was that a test. Well, it was that. Yeah. It, uh, again, just a test. <laughs> understanding though that that it is it is um, God's will to test us. I think the the to understand what that means, um, we have to make a distinction between our our typical understanding of temptation and a slightly different meaning of the word test although the Greek words for this can mean either thing. So if you're a teacher and you give a student a test to see what they know, you're not, that's not evil. You're, 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 you're taught, now I'm going to preach through test, see what you know. If, if you're, um, uh, but if you're somebody who, who stands by the street corners and tries to lure someone into an evil activity, that's, that's a test. There's more of a temptation. The intention is evil. So, so um, I think sometimes when you say, "Does God test us?" We think we think of, "Hey, come on, come in," you know, like he's like he's trying to lure us into sin. He does not do that, but he does allow us to go into tension circumstances to see how strong our faith is. That's what Jesus is doing in the wilderness. That's what the tree is doing in the garden. Okay, I told you, I gave you everything here. Okay, just don't do the same. Do you trust me? Do you believe me? The answer in the, in, in the garden was no. The answer in the in the wilderness for Jesus was yes. Yeah. Where he stood by the word of God. and So that's how we look at life. It is, we're going to be led into tests because that's, you don't get any stronger unless you're tested. If you want to work out, how do you get stronger? Well, you pull them away in the bar. And then you do it, okay, now I'm stronger. 
nobody gets stronger and go to the gym and just like throw around a bar with nothing on it, you know, or with the three pounds. Yeah, or if you want to play music, you don't just play do re mi fa so la ti do every day. You've got to now start chords. You got to go more, and then you've got to, and then if you want to perform. You have to go out there and like be nervous about performing and learn how not to be nervous. You know, the only the only way to learn to do something well is to go and do something poorly and then do it again. Yeah. Better. Better. And that's but that's all testing. That's all how we grow in that. So, um, but getting back to the song, um, the idea that, that that there's this thing called the world. And it, the voice comes from the, the, the serpent in the garden, its origin, and then spreads to those whom he has conscripted to, to be part of the world, which is humanity in its corporate rebellion against God, trying to do things its own way, trying to create its own world and, and paradise. And it's epitomized you know, a few chapters later in Genesis and Tower of Abel. That's, Build a monument, have one language, and all this, and I was like, yeah, maybe not. But but that's but I think we have to understand this. The good way to get back to the main point is that's where the world, as we talk about in the New Testament, do not love the world, the things of the world, as Saint John says, it comes from that voice, which which. calls humans to live apart from God as though something here was our own and not his. So when we get here, the kings of the earth uh, set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord against his anointed. That's, again, just the magnified voice of the serpent that as it becomes incarnate in people rebelling against God. And they want to break God's bond. Yes, sir. Things. Yes. Um, it, it seems almost like, too, uh, you know, the kings of the earth, they set themselves together. It's like Jesus is a whole redefining of power, the anointed one, that there's a system of power and, you know, lording over everybody. And here comes Jesus, the suffering servant. So it's a whole redefinition, too, of what, of who Messiah is and what power really is. In a sense, yeah. Like meditation to me. That's right. True power of faith comes through faith and obedience and humble submission, by which God raises us up by His power. And the grasping of human power often results in a temporary show of something that eventually is revealed to be nothing. Mm-hmm. The essence of, of the um, bravado, of human bravado, is a show. And this, this actually is psychologically true, too, that um, people who are boastful and threatening are usually very insecure. People who we think about being prideful, arrogant, they usually are, are at, at root weak, and they have to show this, they have to do this otherwise. And, and this is actually the paradox of humility and faithfulness is that, uh, and, and the word that so many people are allergic to is submission, um, it is actually people who are able to 
submit to God and to others. It takes a strength of, of personality to, to allow, I have to be certain enough about myself and where I stand. So yeah, sure, I, I can give way. I'm not fighting for myself against you. I know who I am. So Jesus, in, in becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross, um, is really a display of supreme confidence in, his, in God and who, who he is in relationship to God, that he trusts God will make me. And this is where our own faithfulness comes in, because as we, as, we as we suffer faithfully by being obedient in the face of things, the temptation is to grasp some, time, some kind of temporary relief or some kind of temporary revenge. Because why? Well, because our pride, because our pride is wounded, or because you know, I, and and instead, the the the, the command, the, the spiritual life is about enduring faithfully through that. And, and this actually brings out something that's really essential to the to, to understanding the Psalms too, which is that. As we're connecting the um, the voice of the um, world with the initial voice of the of the evil one, um, we understand, therefore, that the, the true essence of the, of the tests and temptations we face are not merely at the hands of people, but are spiritual forces that 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 operate. So, so Saint Paul will say. In Ephesians um, chapter six, verse twelve, um, you know, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Getting back to that serpent-like voice, mm-hmm. for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And the way this plays itself out in our lives is that. Um, as we live every day, we face certain visible challenges. That difficult coworker, mm-hmm. children who won't do what they're supposed to do, uh, a spouse who just is obstinate. And remember, when you think that of your spouse, spouse thinks that of you too. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so as you're doing this, the the, the surface there's this surface battle. How do I get? How do I get what I want? How do I accomplish this thing? Um, and yet, underneath that surface battle is a spiritual battle, which is, yeah, grab it. <laughs> Get back in it. Get back in it. And so, what, to understand that is to understand the real challenge is not, the real temptation or the real challenge is not just to win or lose the visible battle. The real challenge is, what does faithfulness look like? in the midst of this thing? How do I hold on to Christ and endure faithfully through this? And if I'm not getting what I want at work or in family or in some life situation, what does it look like to handle that faithfully? Certainly to use, you know, speak the truth in love, not, but, but not to strike out, not to um, act apart from God. To justify myself. And I have found that when you do that, it is so disarming to the person who's attacked you that they kind of shrivel up. I, I had somebody flip me off the other day, and I just smiled, and it just 
took a whole lot of fun out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that's right. I mean, that, um, St. Paul says this in um, the Romans, uh, um, don't repay, uh, you know, eat, you know, evil with evil, but uh, he says, and, and uh, but return blessing for in doing, you'll, you'll keep burning coals of fire on their head, which you have to be careful about glorying in that. <laughs> but, um, but, um, but the point is, but the point is this, to getting back to the point, is that um, if we are firmly rooted in our prayer and in Christ, the, or maybe say it this way, the more firmly rooted we are, the less other people will be able to offend us. Mm-hmm. It's because our sense of who we are is weaker that every offense has to be um, replied to. We have to defend ourselves. We have to, and this is biblical language, justify ourselves. And the biblical perspective of the Psalms is to let God justify you, to let God pass this sentence in due time and, it's going to end, and patient, patiently be like that tree planted by the waterside. Eventually, the good will be seen, and you'll be recognized. And and the voice that is um, so loud and and boisterous now will eventually be seen to be, you know, for what it is. So let, let's let's then. Um, so that's so that's the voice of the world and the the the, the conspiracy of the, the the kings of the earth take counsel together, which of course is epitomized in the Holy Week narrative. The rulers of the, of the Jews conspire with the rulers of the Romans against the Lord to put him to death, and. Um, Our experience in the world generally as the church will be that while there'll not always be opposition and sometimes appreciation for good things done, in general, the world will find committed faith to be an annoyance because the assistance on faithfulness and doing what is right at the expense of popularity or profit or something um, sometimes, and, and so it, it's it's the reason that, for example, um, Cain killed his brother. He didn't want him there as evidence that he'd done the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So you either you you can either repent or you can, you can kill the one who confronts you, which is essentially the crucifixion. So, let's move on there to that, verse 4. He who sits in, in the heavens shall laugh. So, this is that all this conspiracy is happening in earth, and God's like, because um, God has never given up control. And it's, it's, it's a, a heresy, the heresy of dualism holds that um, there are two equal and opposite forces in the universe at war with each other, God and evil, and never who's going to win. That is a heresy. The, the Bible from the beginning sees God as sovereign and almighty. Um, and even in the midst of the fall and all the subsequent things, uh, God has uh, not yielded his sovereignty 
and is Lord over history and over the unfolding story of the human condition. And there's a telos, a place he's leading it. Um, the main complaint against God, I think, is that we don't like the way he's leading it. <laughs> And I think that's, that's, it's, you know, if you've ever, like, when you come on Good Friday, it's like, there's a reasonable meditation that says, this seems like a really bad way to save the world. <laughs> so, transferring over to your life, what you're struggling with, we might say, God, this seems like a really bad way to do your will in my life right now. I like a better way. I like a way that escapes some of the suffering I have. And so let's do that way. But um, God is sovereign. The trust is no, God will work out his purpose through the actual lives we're living in. There's something significant about that because um, a lot of our prayer is to is a prayer to be taken out of the lives we're actually thinking. <laughs> Get me out of here. Take this away. And the the you know, and, and listen. In our prayers, God delivers us in a lot of ways. I'm not working against the idea that God intervenes. But in general, over the, over the course of life, God will save us through our struggles, not from them. And for example, to, to give, a, to give a, a biblical example of this, St. Paul, who has miraculously converted on the road to Damascus, and is, you know, the viper, the deadly viper falls off his hand, doesn't kill him. Yet later on in 2 Corinthians, we're told he's got a thorn in the flesh. And he prays for death to be taken, and he goes, no, I'm not doing that. So he goes, okay, here's what God's doing in my life. He's showing me that his power is made perfect in my weakness. So, um, so that's kind of like the cross. And Paul could say, you know, God's a bad way to do this. Look how much more I could do for you. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of stuff. So, um, God is sovereign. He, he hasn't given up his sovereignty, but he's ruling in the midst of, and there's a wonderful word, uh, line on Good Friday, our, 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 one of our, our hymns, our God is reigning from the tree. Lord Jesus, he's not ceased to be Lord. He's in charge right here. And so in the midst, but the, the thing for us in the Psalms and our own experience of life He's still this Lord in the midst of your life, right where it is. And, and that's how we experience the power. So, he who sits in heaven laughs them to scorn. The Lord shall have them in derision. And then shall he speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Now, this concept of wrath uh, uh, offends the modern ear. It didn't offend the ancient ear so much because Ancients all thought that all the gods were angry. So the idea that the biblical god was angry in a good way made more sense here. Now it's all love. But the wrath of God is, is not his temper tantrum. It's, it's the expression of justice. That is, when there is an offense, God has made a world where there's a natural thing that accrues to that. And it tends to unfold slowly over time the judgments of God. And this one, refrains of revelation, where the judgment of God comes, uh, true and just are your judgments. Because you've done this, they've done this, and you've done this, and look now they're getting exactly what they 
So, so God is, that's, that's a, a thing that, um, is also a theme of the Psalms, that it looks like the wicked are prospering, but God is really just setting the track. And in due time, it's, it, it will be revealed. So God, um, he speaks to them in his wrath, and thus knows what he's going to speak, and distress them in his sort deep displeasure. We see, incidentally, we should be aware of this, the, the parallel of the Psalms. Like, so, um, verse 5 and 6 have that parallel, verse 5 there. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath, which is essentially equivalent, saying to, and distress them in his deep displeasure. And sometimes the second parallel verse can um, nuance the meaning of the first. Um, if you if you ever want to dive more deeply into this, a lot of the books, but there's this Hebrew professor from Berkeley, called, and it's called The Art of Biblical Poetry, where he talks about how these lines line play together. Robert Alter wrote it. Not a Christian, he's a Jew, but it, but, he, but it gets into the narrative of it. But this is what this is how this plays out, these, these lines. And that's why your Bible, if you see it like set in verse text, that's it's not like that in the Hebrew Bible is being translated, but that's the indication that here here is Hebrew poetry as opposed to Hebrew prose. And it's a distinct form of writing that's that's different from just writing out a story. And so what did he, what did he um you speak to them. And if you speak, you speak a word, a word, a sentence. How did God create? He spoke. So, what, and what he speaks is, yet have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. <clears throat> It's interesting. This is an image that comes. This appears in Revelation. There's a white horse mm. on a mountain. There's my king, and um, and this is something that we understand that that uh, um, we'll go on to one more verse. It says, um, actually, let me read seven through nine and pick it up like that. So I, I set my king upon my holy little sign. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So God's response to the gathering of the nations against the Lord and his and his and his uh, anointed is to say is to set his king uh, on on the holy hill of Zion. Now this again, or this is liturgically used um, on Christmas. The Lord has, has said, uh, "Thou art my son; today, today have I begotten thee." Now theologically. When did the father beget the son? The beginning. Good words. In the beginning. Was there ever a time? Prior to the beginning. Was, was, was there ever a time when when the, when the son was not begotten? 
No. This is the orthodox belief that's enshrined in the creed. There never was a time when the sun was not. Now, um, but the reason that kind of Christmas, so that's the eternally begotten, <laughs> begotten of his father before all worlds, as we say in the Nicene Creed. But Christmas, of course, he is uh, conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. And so he was begotten of God before all time, now comes into the human condition, takes on human flesh, and becomes man, becomes the Messiah, becomes the one who will save. And though he is um, merely an infant on Christmas, uh, what do what do the wise men when they come looking for him ask Herod? Where is he who is the king, the king of the Jews, the king yeah. born king of the Jews? So the idea today I've begotten the and the king that he's king from birth, and of course the irony of that story is that is that Herod thought he was king of the Jews. Yeah. You know, and but he killed people and paid a lot of money to get the title. So here's the real one, and that's another. That's part of the um, well, part of the irony of the of the Christmas narrative because um, when we're reading Luke chapter two on Christmas, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled for the census. I think it's a tax, but. Just means enrolled, but they're rolling in order to be taxed. So, uh, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to to to, to make the world do all these things, and um, uh, the verse that's uh, part of our um, intro for Christmas. I will declare the decree. So, so Caesar Augustus has a decree, and yet God has a decree taking place at the same time. Here's my son. Who, who will guarantee the overthrow of Caesar Augustus and every every and the world that rebels against him? So another duality there. Say, say, speak to that. Well, on duality. Here we have the the kingdom of this world, yeah. King Herod, against the begotten kingdom of. And from the very beginning, Rome understood. The church is a threat because it never um, was willing to settle for a place in the pantheon of Greek or Roman gods. It it said no. These and it, it, the, the offensive thing with what Saint Paul: these idols aren't gods. Jesus is Lord, and and that was the thing that got the martyrs killed. But it's also the thing that overthrew. The whole Roman regime after 200 years. And save Daniel. Save Daniel. Okay. So the the rulers and the kings who take counsel and try to grab try to break away from God and grab what is his for their own, God says, Here's my son. And I'm giving him the nations, and he will subdue them. You're rebelling against him, but he will subdue. And that's the, the, the language of you'll, 
you'll break them in pieces, you'll break them with a rod of iron, you dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Um, an image of this comes up in, um, in Daniel, where uh, Daniel has a vision of one like the Son of Man, but um, Daniel has a vision of these, of, of these four kingdoms uh, that are in succession, worldly kingdoms. And, um, but in the midst of the fourth kingdom, he sees, uh, he sees uh, one like the Son of Man taking the throne in heaven. And um, his kingdom is an everlasting dominion versus the temporal nature of these earthly kingdoms. And the earthly kingdoms are, this is interesting, uh, are characterized by beasts. They're a uh, lion, a bear. Uh, um, they're beastly because really they've, um, in rebelling against God, uh, they've abdicated the human vocation and really become subhuman. That's what happens. And so it characterizes, and this is why the Son of Man, Jesus, is, we think about how important is these God, but he's also the genuinely human one, the one who rules with equity and justice, who doesn't devour things for his own sake, but, but, but um, always operates with justice. So as we're praying this in our own prayers, um, just as the birth and also the resurrection of our Lord speak of his victory over every opposing force of evil, so his presence in our lives through the gift of the Spirit and baptism and our connection in prayer and living out this life of prayer connected to him means that all the enemies that we, the spiritual temptations we face and the obstacles will eventually be overcome by God on our behalf. And one of the things where he says, um, I'll give you for this inheritance, um, we are called, you know, heirs of the world with Christ. Where, where we, where we, so this, what's, what, what is, um, belongs to him, belongs to us in him. So that's how we pray this. We understand we have a share in that. Any thoughts? We share in that, and that gives us hope here and now build on that, build God's kingdom on earth, because when he comes again, we'll be reigning with him on earth. Right? In, in the renewed, yes, in the renewed, and, and so the, the, the idea of, of working for the kingdom, I, I like the idea of being witnesses for the kingdom, because um, it's already here. And this is to, to really understand the framework of the Christian life is when we, when we grasp it, is that we're already reigning with Christ. So even in the midst of the suffering, there's already a victory. It's, it's held on to by faith and hope 
love. We, we have this thing. And that's what gives us the confidence in the midst of it. To, to, and that's the witness. Um, where we went back to Acts, where, where Peter and John actually were beaten and released. And what are we rejoicing? Why? Because, because they're this, this, um, because they were, and, and so the, this is something that we as Christians, as we cultivate, this is not that we love, it's not masochism, it's not anything like that. It is more that in this world, there's always, all life has some kind of pain to it. But um, experienced apart from Christ, all that pain is the pain of death, the certainty that this is coming to an end. Um, but in Christ, it's the pain of birth because it's the pain. We experience these things, but as, as St. Paul says, um, um, this, this temporary affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The idea that, that the life that's growing in us through the tribulations has a glory that will be revealed that is more important than the temporary pain. And the more we get that, the more we can have a sense of joy. And it's why I think we should work on that. It's, it's not that we can't, you know, um, be sad when things are sad or um, say, ouch, when it hurts. But there should be that um, being sad is not in conflict with joy. Um, the St. Paul says in, in Thessalonians, not to grieve as those who have no hope. Grief and hope go together. We're sad. That we're, there's a grieving. Yeah, this isn't what I want, but it, it will be. He's, Christ is here, so we endure to have a different character than merely worldly suffering. Mm -hmm. And the more we cultivate the life of prayer in the presence of Christ, the more we can look to what God is doing in all these things. And sometimes that requires a kind of surrender, where the surrender I've discovered is, yeah, I figure out what God is doing, but this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> so there's a, I have to let go of what I wanted, the good I wanted to accept the good that God is giving. And that's, that's how we open up to it. And I think that's the subtle temptation is to take the good we want. This is good. You know, this is good. It makes sense. You know, this makes sense. God do this way. Pray for this. Pray for this. And so if we have that becomes a kind of our own idea, an idol. The life as I would have it. We, we have to let go to take the life as um, God is giving it. And the trust is that... Um, that is the way that our highest and best good is being worked. Much like with a child, a child wants this thing. You might say, no, we're not going to do that now. Not because you want to make them miserable. But they will be miserable for a minute because they're not getting that thing. But because you have something, something more, more, more in store for them. Let's finish off the psalm here. So he says um, in verse 10, now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. And so that goes back to, there's conspiracy, <clears throat> okay, wake up, and um, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. You who presume to exercise power apart from God, realize 
that, that you, 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 you serve at God's behest. Where does this come out in the Bible? For example, you get in Daniel a lot, where Nebuchadnezzar goes off and does something, and then he, he's, you know, something happens, and he comes back and acknowledges, no, the Lord's the Lord. And we, we get this in our, in our, even in our own prayer tradition, where we pray for the rulers to punish wickedness and vice. That's our God-given vocation to minister justice. When they don't do that, they're rebelling against God. They're not doing what they're called to do. Um, so, this verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling that has to come with humility. No other way. Man in his, in his own what's, what's the right word Egotistic, egotistic views would, would not be humble himself to be in fear of the Lord and respect the Lord. But it's more than just respect, it is actual fear and trembling. Well, it's humble, it's, it's humility to understand you are not your own God, but God is God. So there is that worship, the worship of God, that's what he's saying here, is, is serve Lord, fear. So you so the act of worship, of, of bringing all that we have to him. And that actually, the, 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 the idea of rejoicing there, which is interesting, because it's not just, uh, it's, it's, it, that brings, yeah. oh, he's in charge. And there's, there's, there's a freeing aspect to that in our prayer when we let go, because we're so busy controlling things, <laughs> and we finally can let go. Oh, so I don't have to run everything. I, God's in control. I'm responsible for doing the things he calls me to do, not running the show. We have to make that exchange all the time. Um, now, the, verse 12 says, Kiss the son, lest ye be angry. That's uh, the King James uh, and the tr tradition. A lot of the other, that's what it actually says in the he Hebrew, although a lot of modern translations will say, do homage and fear or something like that. The kiss of this probably harkens to the ancient form of worship where you bow down and kiss the ground. And um, so that, that's the, the, the kiss of, 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 of homage. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And the trust there would be trust in who? Well, the king that he set upon the holy hill. We put our trust in the Messiah who's ruling over the world and over our lives, and we submit our lives to him, and a blessedness results from that. It doesn't participate in the judgment that comes on those subject to the wrath of God, but participates in the kingdom, the inheritance that we get with him. Any thoughts on that? So actually, we're being tested twice. Adam and Eve were tested in the beginning, and they were tested upon the cross, um, as, as we are now. So explain that. Uh, well, if if that's uh, I mean, that kind of thing, I don't. Um, Adam and Eve tested with with the apple because by they shouldn't have taken it, and then Christ died on the cross. 
And so it's up to people in this world to either follow Christ or not. So that's another test. And so then we continue to be tested all the time. And so you just put your trust in the Lord. And yeah, and, and, and the, the dynamic is largely the same. It's interesting with um, that first temptation, you think about it. Uh, they, they gave into it. And then they suffered the pain of shame, nakedness, and separation. But had they not eaten, they, they would have a different kind of pain. The pain of resisting, the pain of having a desire that's not going to be fulfilled right now. And that's, that's where temptation, the test, that usually plays out on that. That I, I want this thing. That I'm, it's going to be, some part of that is going to be purified, unrequited or purified. So there's a pain in temptation, the temporary enduring of a discomfort for the sake of faithfulness versus the immediate participation and consequent guilt, shame, fear, and separation. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. We'll, we'll pick up with Psalm 3, which is a shorter psalm, so I may add a psalm or two to it. If you have psalms you particularly like, uh, let me know, and I'll include them in our tour. We're not going to do all 150 this time through, unless you all give me one of those. I'll get loose call. We should. We should. We should. Emails, updates. Because yeah. I'm not on the list. So. Same list. About stick spam. I'll take a look again. They'll check so you're still there. But I don't think I... You know, I, I, thought I, you I wrote you out a book of life or anything like that. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> so. And probably justifiably so. Alright. Let us pray. Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us. Be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us. Give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Good with you all. Good to have you all online. Peace. I thought I missed it was weird from the bride stuff. Yeah, it's like it's only this the end of all oh, this is when it came back. I don't know what is what they would look like. I have Oregon jump rope. Oh, yeah. Well, Google. Um, I know, chickadees are on the East Coast. Yeah.